Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, there we go. My name's Alex. I'm the, the pastor here, and uh, it's good to be back. Uh, some of you may know we, uh, as a family, traveled to England um, almost two weeks ago, and we got back this past Friday. And so right now, I have no idea where I am or what time it is. And so in the middle of my sermon, if I fall asleep, um, you can't, okay? Only one of us can sleep during it. Um, but I, I, it's good, good to be back. Uh, as I shared before the trip, uh, my mom's British. I spent some time growing up in England, and uh, we went back to visit my grandmother, who in about two weeks is going to be turning 95. And we really wanted to kind of one last time to, as a whole family, go visit her, spend time with her, and really honor her for just the person that she is. Uh, she has been a follower of Jesus for most of her life and has experienced lots of good things and lots of hard things, but throughout it all, her faith has really remained steadfast. And so there's just a certain kind of part of my own life and my own spiritual heritage, which is attributed to her and her faithfulness. And so we really wanted this trip to be a chance as a family to go and allow our three kids to spend more time with her. And I appreciate just all the prayers and all the way that people have stepped up since we've been gone. I appreciate Joel, who did the hosting today. He spoke for me uh, last week, and just all the people that came together. And uh, last Sunday, I think the highlight for our trip was we got to actually attend my, my grandmother's church uh, that I used to go to when I was a young boy and get to, to worship with her was a, was a great experience. But of course, we, we missed being with, with all of you. And so it was a great trip. It was great to, to do that and to really spend that time. But it's also uh, good to, to come back. And I want to just share a, a brief video uh, which is a message from my grandma to all of you. And um, I'm going to try not to cry. Here's the thing. If you've come to Ridgeview for any certain amount of time, I always say that, and like, I kind of find myself crying. Here's the deal. I cry a lot, but not like every day of my life. But sometimes on a Sunday, I'm talking about serious things, things that are meaningful, and I'm thankful, and, and tears flow. And I'm kind of jet-lagged, and so it's just going to be worse, potentially. But... There's just my disclaimer, but I'm just going to look away. But she um, was sharing last Sunday after church. We were kind of eating and and, and talking with her. And she said, you know, every morning as she wakes up and she uh, she prays for for our family. And and she says she prays uh, for our church. And um, she says, usually I, I do that before I get out of bed. And just something about that, which I thought, you know, sometimes we, we fail to realize the prayers of people especially sometimes family members and, you know, we have grandparents and different people throughout our lives that have for years and years and years have, have prayed for us. And, and I thought of us as a church and we're a new church. We're getting started. We're trying to reach people. And here's my grandma on the other side of the world who every morning prays for us as a church. So I wanted to share this with you. Hello, everyone. Alex is my grandson and I'm so enjoying Alex with his family here in England. I pray every morning, usually before I get out of bed, for Alex and for Ridgeview Church. I pray that there will be many people come to trust in the Lord and come regularly to the church 
serving the Lord. God bless every one of you. And you, you will know that I'm holding you all up in prayer. I shouldn't have started with that. But there you go. It's really funny. I asked her if she would share that on video. And she, she looked at me and said, I, I don't do video. I just kept looking at her with that grandson face. And so this time she did. But anyways, I just, I just wanted to share that with you because to me that was worth the trip just to hear. When I went over this in my head, I, I wasn't crying. But um, the reason I want to share that is that oftentimes, you know, you, you can feel alone and you can feel like you're, you're doing this, you know, whatever it is, your life and ministry and church and relationships, and you just feel alone and isolated. And then sometimes God has a way of just reminding you that he, he works in, in ways beyond what you uh, can sometimes imagine or remember. And, and that was just a picture of, like, all that's happening right here in this church and through the people and through what God is doing. Uh, there's people that for years have been praying for you and, and for me and for what's happening. So... I just wanted to share that. I'm not going to cry anymore today. Next week, maybe. Okay. Hi, my name's Alex. I reintroduce myself. Uh, we're continuing this series called The Proven Playbook. And uh, the goal of this series has been to kind of pull back the curtain of the, the values that are really important to us as a church. And we've been using this sports motif kind of as a way to, to highlight uh, as a church, we actually are a team, and we're a team that God has put together with people from various backgrounds, from various upbringings and places you've lived and everything, and he, and he brings this church together, a group of people, to accomplish his mission, his, his mission. And to do that means you, you actually have to have a sense of how you're, you're going to work together. You have to have a sense of how you're going to relate to each other. And so what I wanted to do is, here at Ridgeview, as we're getting started, I want to kind of give you this this context of the way that we want to treat each other, uh, the way that we want to relate. And so this, this kind of proven playbook is the set of plays which we hold dear to us as a church that are pulled right out of Scripture that we want to kind of dictate the way that we're going to team. And so if you've missed any of this series, I just want to briefly highlight uh, where we've been. Uh, you can also listen online uh, on our website. If you go to the message link, we also have a podcast if you search Ridgeview Church, Fontana. And so you can always catch up on this, but I just want to highlight uh, some replays of, of where we've been. And so play number one uh, is Others Before Me. We kicked this off a few weeks ago. And uh, we, we translate these into statements that you can see here and put the goals and interests of others above my own. We, we call these heart attitudes. And we have these heart attitudes as a church which define uh, not only the attitude that, that we want to have towards each other, but the approach. And all of us have attitudes and approaches. An attitude is, is how we, we see things. It's partly related to perspective. And then our approach is actually how we, we live and how we relate and how like, life happens and, and unfolds. And so as a church, these hard attitudes are, are ways that we want to see people and then because of the way we, we see them, we want to treat them in a certain way. So we want our behavior 
and the way that we relate to, to flow from that. And so our hard attitude number one, which we kicked off the series, is this idea of put the goals and interests of others above my own. If you want successful relationships, it always begins with this step towards unselfishness. If you're willing to put others in front of yourself, that relationship, that person will, will always go well because you're, you're actually looking out for them. And that's, that's what love is built on. Love is built on this sense of sacrificial love. That's how Jesus loved us. So play number two, a couple weeks ago, we talked about discretion, not deception. And this is hard attitude number two, live an honest and open life before others. And the idea is we want to be a church that has integrity as we relate to each other, that we're not faking it. What you see, you know, on the outside, that, that represents who we are on the inside. And that's really important for relationships as well. That's what trust is built on. There's a sense in which we know where we stand. We know who we are. And discretion just means that we don't tell everyone everything about our life. Uh, Discretion is good. It's not just transparency. But we do want to let people in on the struggles we face and the things that, that we're dealing with because we're not supposed to be alone. And as we live honest and open with others, God uses people to help us where we are. And then last week... Uh, Joel spoke on the feedback loop, and this is hard attitude number three, give and receive a scriptural correction. The idea is we all have blind spots, things about us that we just don't see. Have you ever, you know, veered over to a lane and all of a sudden you hear a horn and then you see a car that you just cut off? Is that just me? I've done that regularly. You don't know that happens until you hear the horn and you see that car, and in your mind you're thinking, well, they, they weren't there. How did all of a sudden they appear there? And sometimes in my mind I think, well, they must have just gotten over right when I got over, which could be true. But oftentimes it's I just didn't see them, and that's how life is, is we just sometimes don't see things in our life because they've always been there. We don't even know it's there. And so this idea of, of correction and feedback is we want to be a church that if we're, we have patterns that are leading us to destructive place or leading us off a cliff, that we, we have people that will love us enough to, to call us on that. And that could be scary, but that's actually what healthy relationships are based on as well. There's a sense in which feedback happens, and it's done in love. And today, I want to talk about play number four, which is peace if possible. And the value of having peace in our uh, relationships. And so speaking of kind of teaming together, I don't know, have you ever been on a team that um, maybe like a team sport, whether it's basketball or soccer or football, that you lost more than you won? Have you ever been on one of those teams? Like a losing team. Okay, yeah. Uh, Have you ever rooted like for a team, like maybe it's your favorite sports team and they seem to always lose instead of, of win? Sometimes that's, that's bad as well. I'm a Redskins fan. I've been used to that. Uh, they haven't won much, but I'm still a fan, but it, it's painful. And then if you're on a team um, and you're actually participating in, that, that, that feeling of losing is, is overwhelming. And that's how relationships feel without peace. Uh, when you're in a, like a losing team and you, you can't get that win, you, there's just this this aspect where you feel defeated, your head is down, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, and, and you kind of don't want to keep going. And then you have a coach that can inspire, you have teammates that kind of call you for it, it's going to be okay, keep going, but there's a sense in which you're like, that's true, but 
if we win, it would really help. My uh, junior year, I was part of a tennis team. I started playing tennis when I was a boy, and then in high school, my sophomore year, and I joined this tennis team, and we hadn't lost in life. I mean, we hadn't won, sorry, in years. Like, I joined the team, and it was like, well, we haven't won in years, and it was kind of like, this is great. Like, I'm not going to bring the team down. So it was actually kind of reassuring. It's also kind of sad where they can't even think of the year where the last win was. Like, we won sometime in the 90s, you know. And, um, and so I, as I was, like, on this team, it was just this losing and losing and losing. And we lived in the Bay Area, and we would play schools that were in the, the wineries of Napa, and they were at country clubs. And we would just, I mean, we could barely even get the ball across the net. And then my junior year, we won. We won once, and we lost the rest of the season. But it was, like, epic. The school, I, you know, that we beat must have thought, it was, like, early in the season, and it was, like, we were ready for a parade. Like, call the city, call the newspaper, and people weren't nearly as enthusiastic as we were. But for us, we had one win that we had never experienced before. And it was this lasting thing that we, we held on to. And so we had our, our heads held high, and we lost the next week, and we lost every week after that. But we won that one time. And then my, my senior year, we, we didn't win again. And, and, you know, that was the end of my tennis career. So I have one win. Um, but in that moment, um, it, it really changed our whole outlook. It was, it was worth it. We, we had experienced this. And that's what it is when you have peace and relationship. Oftentimes, we get used to discord and arguing and conflict. And it, it, you just get used to it that you think that's what is normal. That can be what our marriages are like. That's what raising kids can be like. That's what it can be like at our work situation where coworkers, maybe there's just a lot of backbiting and fighting and with bosses and arguing. And it gets to the point where that, that's all you, you know. Because it's all you know, you think that that's normal. But what you find is as you dig into the scriptures, there's this, this aspect of when peace comes in, it, it, it gives you this, this, this new sense of life. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus actually came in peace. And as he talked with people, he said, peace, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. There's a sense of I've come so you may experience something you've never experienced. I've come that that you can experience this well-being and this rightness that can flow in life that comes through following me. And so I want to highlight this importance of peace in relationships and importance of peace here at our church because if we can experience peace and promote peace and work for peace, it will actually transform our lives from the inside out. So I want to just briefly highlight um, how making peace has, has many benefits. And I'm going to go through this uh, pretty fast. Um, but this is just kind of a snippet just to give you some, some context. So here's some of the, the benefits from making peace in a relationship. The first is blessing. Uh, this is Jesus talking, and he said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So he attributes peace with this, this family, that the family of God is always closely attributed to this peace. And so if you ever want to know if things are of God, if there's discord and if there's fighting and if there's conflict, most of the time, all of the time, that's not of God. 
because peacemaking and peace itself flows from his hand. And the word blessed here means uh, well-being. And, and those that make peace in a relationship, they, they have this well-being that will come to their life. Like if you work, if you make peace and you, you strive for this and you, you aim for this, then, then you're going to experience this blessing, this well-being. Another benefit is delight. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And the word pleasant there is sweet. So how good and sweet, it's this idea of it's pleasing when people dwell in this peace and in this unity. And when a group is unified, where peace is present, uh, there's a sweetness and delight and refreshment that comes to relationships. This happens how, as peace has worked itself into a relationship. Uh, another benefit is future good. James 3 says this, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here this analogy is, is of, of farming. And if you're the type of person that is planting seeds of peace, and you're planting these seeds of peace because you want peace to exist, what the scripture is saying is like, whatever you plant is what you will bear, the fruit that you plant will bear. So if you plant seeds of conflict, what kind of fruit will you bear? Conflict. If you sow seeds of peace, the fruit that you will see is seeds and fruit of peace. And this is something that you you can't see right away. It's not immediate. But the blessing here is as you work towards peace in relationships, as you work to, to deal with conflict rightly, and to deal with the messes that exist. Uh, you may not see that fruit right away, but as you're working to that peace, over time it will, it will grow, and you'll see this fruit that will come. And it could be months, it could be years down the line, but the Scripture's this promise. If you work for this peace and you're planting those kinds of seeds, uh, you're gonna bear that fruit. And then the last one I wanna highlight is a good conscience. Now, we, we don't talk about the conscience a lot today, but that this is like the, the inner part of us that's tied to morality, what's right and what's wrong. God has made us all with this moral framework that exists as humans. It's part of how we reflect his image. There's a sense of which we know what's right, we know what's wrong, and that's signaled by our conscience. And there's actually a lot of value and a lot of power that comes from a good conscience. And so I wanna highlight a few of those. The first is love, flows from a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1.5 says this, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see that a lot, love, good conscience, sincere faith. These are tied together. And our conscience is that eternal voice that accuses us of, of wrongdoing. I don't know if you've ever done something that you knew was wrong and you did it, and in that moment, something inside you like triggered, like that, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. What that is, is that that is our conscience working within us. That's God making us in a way that this is just part of how we're made. And then as you decide to follow Christ, that accompanies with his Holy Spirit, him living inside you. So you have this Holy Spirit and this moral framework that he built us on, and the two and our conscience and the Holy Spirit go together where it, it guides us on when we've blown it and, and how to make things right. 
Now, if we ignore it and refuse to listen to our conscience, what the scripture is saying is is that it's like we have these love arteries and they, they get clogged. If we ignore that conscience, the love artery would get clogged and we, we tend to kind of stop extending ourselves for others, stop loving other people. And so it's really important to, to listen to that conscience as it, it speaks to us. Another benefit is that as we listen to our good conscience, uh, we have protection from spiritual disaster. Here's what it says a few verses later in 1 Timothy. It says, this, I char- this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. This is speaking to this idea of living life is oftentimes one decision after another of doing something that's going to be right or doing something that's going to be wrong. You ever felt like that? You just wake up and there's a sense of which, am I going to treat this person right? Am I going to treat this person wrong? It could be somebody you love. It could be somebody you hardly relate to. But we all have these choices. And what Paul's writing to Timothy is like he's saying this is part of the battle of life, choosing to do right by people and by God even when we don't feel like it. And he's saying a lot of what happens is your conscience is, is leading you in the way that you should go, you do, make this decision, choose this attitude, do what's right. And on the other side of that, we have our, our sinful nature, our selfishness, our arrogance, the thing that tells us the opposite. And so he's describing this battle. And so he's encouraging Timothy, his protege in ministry, he's saying, listen to your conscience, hold to your faith, because if you don't, your, your life can be shipwrecked like, like those of other people. And so there's a saying, if you... The sense of if you, you listen to how God is leading you um, and you listen to the conscience that he's put inside of you, then you actually can steer away from sin. And what the Bible describes is there's, we can get to a point where if we ignore kind of that, that sense of right and wrong, our conscience is seared. That's what the scriptures describe. It's like it's burnt. It means that we no longer can even identify what's right and wrong in a situation. You just get to the point where you, you do something wrong. You know it was wrong. There's a sense it was wrong, but you just continue in that path. And then the next time you make that same choice, and the next time you make that same choice, and before you know it, you're so far down the path of doing something wrong that now you can't even remember the way back. Have you ever experienced that? Have you seen that in the lives of others? It's so what the scripture is saying is like protection from spiritual disaster comes as you listen to this good conscience. And so this should be a high priority. And Acts 24, 16 echoes this. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. What do you take? I take pains, this work, this effort. The reason I, I'm giving you this context is we all want peace, right? We all want it. Actually, the whole world wants peace. It's this word that, that you know, just covers it. Like, we just need peace. People need to experience peace. We all want it. But as you see in the scriptures, there's something that you actually have to fight for. And most of the time, what's involved in peace is our inside battle with the things that we don't want to do. And so when we speak about peace 
in this church and peace in our relationships, there's a sense in which to get to peace, you have to fight yourself. You have to battle with the things that are not right. You have to battle with desires. You have to battle with your own shortcomings. You have to kind of face yourself down. But if you can and you choose to listen and follow Jesus as he calls us forward, our relationships are are transformed. And there's a new way for all those who follow Christ. Peace can actually be realized. And this is translated into forgiveness. Most of the time, for peace to exist in a relationship, forgiveness has to exist. So I want to kind of spend the rest of the time talking about kind of the link between this peace and uh, forgiveness. So here, here's the new way. If you, if you decide to follow Christ, this, this is kind of up there on one of the most important aspects of the new life you have in him. And it's this. Christ followers uh, take initiative to clear up relationships. Now, there's a phrase we use a lot here at Ridgeview, and that's, you know, if, if we, we mess up, we, we clean up. Now, that's true for a facility. We rent this school. If we make a mess, we want to clean it up. We actually aren't meaning it for where we meet. We're meaning it for the relationships that we experience. Now, if I were to ask you, how many of you would consider your family dysfunctional would you raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to do that because that in itself would be dysfunctional because, like, who wants to do that? But I think most of the time, again, back to the norm, we live in kind of dysfunction in our relationships, and dysfunction is this in relationships. Everyone knows that there's something wrong, but nobody wants to talk about it. Have you experienced that? I I have. There's all sorts of things that are wrong, but nobody wants to talk about it. And you were learned, you don't, you know, you're taught maybe by your parents, by your, you don't bring this up in front of this person. Don't ever mention that. And so you just learn how to kind of tiptoe around different situations and scenarios and different people. And we all learn how to play this game to not really deal with what needs to be dealt with. That is dysfunction not dealing with what is. So when we talk about when we mess up, we want to clean up, it's identifying that messes exist. And so I want to encourage you this morning, when we talk about peace, the reason we need peace is because our relationships can get messed up. They will get messed up. And even as you clean them up, they're going to get messed up again. Why? Because we're in them And we make messes. And other people make messes. We're not perfect people. So relationships are always unraveling and they're they're always breaking down. And to follow Christ doesn't mean that relationships now are intact forever. It means that you now have the power to try to make things right. And so I want to talk about that. There's a kind of a quote from C.S. Lewis. He's an author and a thinker, and he wrote the Narnia books. And he says this, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. I think it's the same with peace. We all love peace until we have to work to get it. And it's the same with forgiveness. Forgiveness is beautiful until 
We're faced with it. I want to talk a little bit about uh, my grandma um, because I think it's tied closely to this. And I want to just give you context, a little bit of, of why this trip was important. Um, my grandma w- was married and, you know, at a young age, and she was a part of like a brethren and, and a follower of Jesus. It was a strict kind of sect of Christianity and uh, married a, a man who was in the same thing. And, and after 10 years of marriage, he, he left her, my, my granddad, my mom's dad. So I'm talking about my mom's parents. And he, he left her, and she was left with nothing. And began to start to think, well, what am I going to do with my life, and how do I you know, make the most of the time that I've been given and this opportunity and everything that I had wanted has now fallen apart and I no longer have. And so she decided that she was going to surrender her life to whatever God wanted. And through the course of different things coming her way, she became a missionary. And she waited until my mom was finished with school and she got married and and my grandma decided, okay, now I'm, my kids have left home and and I've raised them uh, as as a single mom. And now I'm I'm going to see if there's opportunities for me to serve in the mission field. And so for 14 years, she was a missionary in Eritrea and Lebanon. And on this trip, she was talking a little bit about her experiences, and she got arrested one night. Like, that was cool. Like, my kids were like, whoa, great. Grand Ruth got arrested. You know, they were trying to escape the city in Eritrea. It was under civil war and all sorts of things. And they actually got, you know, arrested and put in jail for one night. You know, she's got, like, street cred now, Grand Ruth. She's... Got arrested, and so she's telling us this story. And, and you know, all, all those things, like, I knew about her, but there was kind of another aspect that hit me on this, this last trip. It, it wasn't so much the things that she did, like being a missionary. And God used her, and she was faithful, and she impacted the lives of so many that, you know, she'll never even know. But it was actually the things that happened later in life related to the things in her relationships. And one thing that I realized about my grandma, she forgave my granddad, her husband. Early on, there was forgiveness. And my granddad remarried and spent the rest of his life married to this, this woman, my nana, who was like my step-grandma. And my step-grandma in her later years in life was struggling with Alzheimer's. And my grand Ruth would visit her and spend time with her. And so she had forgiven my Nana, but also loved her. And in the last days of my Nana, uh, she said, you know, in the end, Ruth was the only friend I had. And I think of that picture, and this is what I'm talking about. It's this this idea of my grandma and her life was messy in many aspects. And many things that she wanted never came to fruition. She's lived in the same tiny flat since 1986, kind of like a senior living place. And she's the longest living person. Like no one has been there as long as she has now. But she spent the remainder of her days with this peace because of the forgiveness that she extended to those that had wronged her. The reason I say that is is she doesn't have much money Um, She doesn't have much to show for her life. In fact, on this trip, she says, I'm not going to be able to give you anything when I die, but 
I'll give you this now. So she's just slipping us money left and right. Pay for this. Grandma, it's five pounds. She gives us 60. It's like, oh, grandma, I'm not going to give you money. But it's just this joy that comes from her life. But it's tied to her response to the things that happened to her. She extended a forgiveness. And as I talked about the blessing that comes from peace, I can see this in her life. She really does have blessing. When we were at her church last week, so many people came and said how much they appreciated my grandma. And she visits people, and she loves them, and she gives gifts to their kids, and they just, they're impacted by her love. Because she, she has the peace of Jesus in her life because of the forgiveness that she's extended. As she has the light. She doesn't have much, but she has joy. My grandma hums everywhere. And she's, she's pretty much like 98% deaf. So I don't think she knows she does it. Because when I talk to her, she's like, oh, I didn't know. But my kids love that too because she just, she just hums wherever she goes. I think this is tied to this sense of like there's this well-being that she has. She's okay. She has peace. And her future has been good. She's lived a long life of many blessings. And she has this, this good conscience. She doesn't live with guilt or regret. And so as I was spending time with her, I was thinking, this, she's the picture of what we're talking about. It's not that, you know, bad things aren't going to happen. It's not that relationships aren't going to get messed up. They will. It's what we do when it does. And so the value of peace and and forgiveness, it can't be measured. But to move beyond the dysfunction and the conflict and the problems that become so normal, this is where you see the difference that following Jesus makes. Because God wants us to have a new normal in our relationships. He wants you to experience refreshment. He wants you to experience this peace that counters all the stress and the worries that you have and all the hurt and the pain that you've experienced. He wants you to experience that. And so as a church, we're committed to these hard attitudes because we want these relationships that we have to be life-changing. Not because we're special, but because we want Jesus to dwell with us here. And we want to do life as he said to do life. And want to treat each other like he said to treat each other. So these hard attitudes, these are summaries of the one another's in scriptures, the way a Christian is supposed to live. And so I want to introduce you to hard attitude number four, which is clear up relationships with others. Another way to say is that we want to clean up relationships because we know that they're going to get messed up. I want to share a video uh, from Jenny. Jenny's up here singing most Sundays. Her and her husband, Garrett, have been a part of Ridgeview uh, since Easter, and she's going to share a little bit about this hard attitude. Hi, I'm Jenny, and I'm going to be sharing about heart attitude number four, which is to clear up relationships with others. This means that at Ridgeview, we clean up if we mess up. One time, someone asked me forgiveness for having a bad attitude. I hadn't really thought much of it, but I gave forgiveness and our relationship moved forward. When that person was willing to choose humility, admit their wrong, and ask for forgiveness, it really called me forward. For me, this can be really hard to do. If I speak in a way that is misleading or offensive, I can easily delay going to that person and admitting my wrong by playing the justification game. However, every time 
I am faithful to do what I know I should do and clear that relationship up, I'm reminded how much better it is to have relationships with people that are clear and refreshing. I'm always thankful when someone is willing to clear something up with me. It really builds trust into our relationship and communicates to me that they care about my friendship. Although it is always hard, it's really helpful to have accountability to clean up the messes I make in relationships. This helps me be more aware of my bad habits and motivates me to grow in how God wants me to relate with others. You know, I, everything Jenny shared there, I, I relate to myself. It's, it's the sense of, you to clear up relationships, again, you have to wrestle with kind of our inner person, even maybe the justification of the things that we do. And we can all justify what we do because we do them, and it makes sense to us. That's why we do them. But this idea of clearing up is this, you know, we're just going to face the problems. We're going to face the issues. We're going to face the things. And in love, let's, let's make it right. And so I want to just close out by giving you this brief but hopefully practical way that you can begin to clean up messes that you might experience. Now, this is the context within church. And as the scriptures are, are speaking to this, they're, they're talking about the church community. So this is really connected to people who follow Jesus. So for the most part, that's where this flows the easiest. There's people who are following Jesus, trying to clear up relationships with those who are following Jesus, but you can still apply these to people who maybe don't have anything to do with following Christ. But the context is how, as a community, I do do this. So I want to just briefly walk through this. So how, how to take initiative, there's, there's two scenarios. Anytime something's messed up, it's because either we have done it or somebody else has done it, or maybe a little bit of both. And so I want to kind of talk about that. But here's where it starts. Have you ever had a relationship that you know is fractured, there's something wrong, and you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know it's not right? And maybe you overthink of it. Maybe you can't sleep because of it. Maybe it's just stressing you out. And you just have this knot inside of you. And these can be people that we love and care about deeply. But there's just this knot because something doesn't seem right. The place you have to start is here. Pray and ask God to help you clear things up. As you notice that conscience, what we're speaking, like as you kind of sense that something's not right, you need to turn it and you just ask God, I think there's something not right in this relationship. And maybe you know what it is because you're offended or you know you've offended them, but you just, you pray and you ask God. And this is the start of it. Pray, you ask God to help untangle the knot and give clarity for how to move forward. So that's where it starts. You pray and ask God for help. As things are messed up, you turn to him. But here's the scenario number one. You offended them. If you've offended somebody, here's how you can begin to make it right according to the scriptures. Here's Matthew 5. So you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is speaking to the priority of making things right in a relationship. The picture is, is you're coming to worship God, and you're bringing your gift. And this is speaking of a time where people would come and bring their kind of sacrificial gifts to the temple, saying is you, you leave your gift there, you leave the worship, and you go, and you make things right. Because the picture is, is, if you're there worshiping God, but there's a fractured relationship that you have with the person there, 
it, the picture is, is distorted. There's a sense in which real worship is these relationships are important to God. He values the peace so much that you, you leave it and you, you make it right. And so this is that, that high uh, priority. And so it begins, Lord, help me to get things straightened out. And so here, here's the first thing. If you, you realize that you've offended somebody, pray and think until, you know, I can name the wrong specifically. So this is most of the time painful because you have to admit that you've done something wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't like to do that. Do you? No, none of us do. Again, when we do something wrong and we know it, most of the time our reflex is to justify why we've done it, right? Would you agree with that? Well, if they didn't do that, I wouldn't have done that. Well, I'm tired. I'm overworked. I'm underappreciated. But actually in Scripture, is you, you, you actually have to face it down. Not justify it, but, fa- but face it down. Most of the time our, bro- our pride is going to take a major blow. And so you want to think in terms of what is the actual sin that you've done. The scriptures actually list a lot of things, offenses that we, we have towards each other. And I, I suggest you become familiar with those because most of the time that's going to define the wrong that, that we experience or the wrong that we do. Ephesians 4, it's in the New Testament, Galatians 5, and Colossians 3. They all have lists of sins that we tend to commit against other people. So what you want to do is you want to pray and ask God, show me the sin that, that I've committed so you can name it. Sometimes it's just selfish arrogance. Will you forgive me? I was, I was selfish, and I put myself in front of you. Sometimes it could be harsh. Sometimes it could be you use your words to break somebody down instead of build them up. Ephesians 4, that's a sin. Whatever it is, you, you, you ask God to show you so you can name the sin. And then number two, you go directly to the person I've offended and asked forgiveness. You know, at a young age, we learn early on, if we have a problem with somebody, we don't talk to the person. Who do we talk to? Our friend. This is how gossip starts. We learn this at a young age. It's like, if we have a problem with somebody, we don't want to talk to the person. We want to go talk to somebody else about the problem that we have with somebody. And man, just so much fuel gets burned up in that. The scripture is saying, no, like, when you realize you don't talk about it with anyone else, you go directly to the person and you ask for forgiveness. And so most of the time, it looks like this. What I did was wrong. I, I was harsh with you. Will you forgive me? So you admit the wrong, you name the wrong, and then you ask for forgiveness. And then number three is you make restitution if needed. So if you've done something that's taken it from somebody else, like maybe you ruined something or borrowed something and it's, whatever, you know, the idea is like there's forgiveness, but then you also need to make things right if you can. Most of the time, it could just be emotional. So you can't really give that like, well, here's, here's, a, here's a gift card. That's not how it works. The way you make that up is you, you just, you choose love and faithfulness. That's how you build trust back up, love and faithfulness. But you make restitution if, if needed. And then number four, if they forgive me, I thank them. So will you forgive me? And if they say yes, you say thank you. 
And if they say no, you, you leave the matter to God. You can't force somebody to forgive you. If you try to do that, you end up causing more offense. And so you leave the matter to God. Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you. So you admit what you've done was wrong. You name it and you ask them to forgive you for it. And then it's up to them what they do. So that's if you've offended somebody. Is this making sense? Okay, I'm going to keep going. Scenario number two, you are offended. Have you ever been offended by somebody? We do not like to be offended, right? It hurts. It's painful. But there's actually steps that we are supposed to take if we're offended and we can't let it go. And so I encourage you, if, if you're offended by somebody, the, the easiest path is you just let it go. You forgive them without them even asking. That's part of what we do with each other. We, we just forgive each other. But there's times when we actually can't let it go. You, you, you want to, but you, you, you can't. And so this scenario, you need to actually make it right by going to them based on something that they've done to you. Doesn't this sound really scary? This is actually what the Bible says. This is how messes get cleaned up. Luke 17 gives the context for this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is one of those say what passages. What? They do that seven times. I don't even know your name anymore. That's how, that's American. Like, no, you fool me once, right? Remember that? But it's saying, like, we're, we can mess up so many times. But if the person is willing to clean it up each time, you forgive them. This is the pattern. Uh, number one, uh, pray and think through the specific offense. So if somebody's offended you, um, you need to think through what it is that they've done to wrong you. Now, here's a warning. This is like handling dynamite because oftentimes when we're offended, it's easy to be emotional. Once we are emotional, we, we can't even see straight anymore. Like, they've always done this. They hate me. And it, it's hard to even know your bearings in the relationship. But you want to really get, what is it? Again, you want to know what, what the sin was. So try to narrow it down to one or two things at the core. You don't want to say, you offended me, and I don't like you. Not really helpful. There's nothing they can do about that, but you've offended me, and and this is how you've wronged me. And I care about the relationship, and I just want to bring this to your attention because I don't want there to be a problem between us. And so pray and think through the specific offense. Number two, ask them if you can talk privately. Don't call people out in front of other people. Why? Because it's, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. If you ask them to talk in private, it's just a way of saying, I care about you so much that I want this to be made right. And then number three, if they ask you to forgive them, let it go and forgive them. So the other side of it, if somebody's harsh with you and it just they, they said something 
and it offended you and they didn't even know it, but you just can't let it go. So you'd say, you know, I really care about you and our relationship, but you have this pattern of, of you're harsh with me and I've been trying to let it go and I just can't. So I just wanted to bring this to your attention because this is the problem that's developed over time. And I really care about our relationship and I don't want it to be like this. Now the person has a choice. You know what? I, I completely blew it. Will you forgive me for that? And then you, you extend forgiveness. Or it may go the other way. Like, I don't think that happened. You're just sensitive. You need to get some thicker skin. And then, you know, inside you're like, that really hurts, you know. But, but again, you can't control their response. Number four, if they don't ask for forgiveness, forgive them anyway. Guys, what I'm talking about is real life stuff. And the Bible speaks directly to this. For most of us, we don't talk about this stuff because we just have learned over time to not deal with things. But Jesus has come to transform every aspect of our life. And this area of conflict and wrong and messes, Jesus wants to get in here and he wants to begin to work inside of us. He wants to work in our church. So to forgive uh, literally means to send it away. Um, you're, you're not gonna hold it against that person. That's what forgiveness is. Uh, there, there's actually, uh, key to forgiveness is it's a, it's a choice. You do it as a matter of will before the feelings are there. And that, there's actually two aspects to forgiveness. The first is the decision. I will forgive you even though I still hurt. It's a decision. The second aspect is there's an emotional aspect of this where you just pray that God will take away some of that pain. Now, it's easy to think I can't forgive you and still feel like this. But actually, you make the choice to do it because it's right, because we're commanded to. So you, you choose to forgive, and then you ask that God will allow the emotional pain over time to subdue. I'm not gonna hold this against you. And that's the pattern in Luke 17. The reason we can extend this forgiveness is because we offend God every day by what we do, what we think, our attitude towards things. We offend him and he forgives us and he lets it go. And so he is our model. Uh, here's, here's a meme that I thought is, is helpful. To heal a wound, you need to stop touching it. Isn't that so true? But it's, but I, but I got to, because it's there. It's actually a step further. We, we tend to have like grudges and things, offenses. They're like these little wounds that, that we actually have in our pocket, and we tend to pull them out, and we rehearse it, and it's like we just pet the wound, and we feed it. How could that person do that to me? How could they say that? And we're just like petting it and feeding it, and what happens? The wound grows, and we take it out, now we're holding this wound, it's a little bit bigger. We're feeding it and petting it. We're rehearsing it. We're babying it. And the wound gets bigger. And now we gotta stuff it in our pocket. And it's like, oh now it's just, and then we just keep. You actually have to stop rehearsing the pain that you've experienced, and you have to get to the point of forgiveness. So the picture is you take the wound out that you want to feed and that you want to pet, you put it on the ground, and you shoot it. 
Did you see that coming? But that's what forgiveness is. You have to kill it. You have to kill the wound. And the only way to do that is through forgiveness that comes through Jesus. And this can be all of us to experience. It's not if it gets messed up, it's when, but then what do we do when it happens? And so I encourage you to think through, don't just let messes stay messes. There's no life there. People don't wanna be there. But allow God to be able to clean things up from the inside out. I wanna invite the band up as I, as I wrap uh, up by just giving some next steps. And they're gonna lead us in another song. We're gonna receive our offering but I really do encourage you to take some next steps this morning because I think there might just be some of you that there's just some things that you need to maybe clean up for some offenses that have been done to you or maybe some offenses that you've done to others. And I encourage you, it's never too late. It's never too late. Uh, here, here's some next steps. And you can mark these on your connection card. So pull out your connection card and finish filling that out. And I'm just going to say this sermon has been way longer than I thought. I'm making up for two weeks. You guys remember, I wasn't here, so I've added. So I, I'm going to be done really soon. So here's the first thing. Uh, take initiative to clear things up with, and there's a blank. I can't fill that in for you, but is there something that's messed up with a relationship with somebody else? And only you know that. And so write that person's name in there. Second next step, refuse to harbor resentment any longer towards... Again, somebody. Who is it that, that you just need to let go of this resentment and forgive? And then the third is to sign up uh, for Connect Group. Forgiveness and peace happens in the context of healthy relationships, and we want you to experience those relationships here. And one of the best ways to do that is to be in a Connect Group. And so if you haven't signed up for one of those, I encourage you to do that. As Joel mentioned, just write the Connect Group number on there. Uh, last but not least, as I close out, uh, in two weeks, we're starting a brand new series, and we're having what we call a big day. And a big day is when we, we really want to invite our family and friends to come to Ridgeview, and we want to kind of talk about a topic that's going to be really relevant to their life. And so uh, this series right here is called How to Make a Bad Decision, and it starts on September 22nd. And you have business cards in your program that looks like this. I encourage you over the next two weeks to think through people who you can invite to come. You never know what people are going through, what they're dealing with, what they are looking for. And the way you find out is you invite them to church. You invite them to experience part of the community that you've experienced. And if you're still checking out Ridgeview and you're new, then continue to come. What you can find is, is God has put you in the path of other people that you can invite. So, You'll see these in your program. We've given you a few. Use these to invite people over the next couple of weeks. I encourage you to do that. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing. We're gonna receive our offering. And then if I've not met you, I'm gonna be by the info table, like Joel said, and I'd like to meet you today. So thank you guys for being with us. Let's, let's pray. Father, it's not easy to talk about problems the messes we experience. In fact, I know there's people here today that are full of pain because of things that they've done and things done to them. But God, you 
bring peace in the middle of the chaos, and you bring forgiveness in the middle of sin and messes and resentment. So God, we look to you for help, that you'll untangle the messes that we experience, that you'll give us initiative to make things right. And God, I pray that we'll be a group of people in a community here at Ridgeview who we will clear up relationships when they get messed up. God, help us to extend forgiveness, to let things go, and to love. We pray that your power will fill us to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.